right, welcome to a, an incredibly special edition, midweek edition of uh, Inappropriate Earl. We got breaking news in the music community. Uh, we got the LA Kings fighting for their playoff lives. Uh, this man is the premier hockey reporter for the LA Kings. Uh, he is the best. So, you know, there's a lot of bad bloggers and, and reporters in hockey. This man is... Uh, a number one, the Gretzky of hockey reporters, um, and he's a music lover, a, uh, wrestling lover. Uh, I mean, we're going to talk XPW shows, for God's sakes, that were held in the Valley. Uh, please, a very special warm round of applause for the mayor, John Hoven. Earl, with that kind of uh, intro there, I would have come on a long time ago. The Gretzky of reporters. But you are. You do a great... You know, there were guys from the past in the Kings uh, history that, you know, were kind of just ass kissers. And, you know, when the Kings would not do well, they'd just kind of cover it up. And, uh, you know, the team needs to play better. You get to the nitty gritty, but without being a dick about it. (laughs) I appreciate that. I mean, you know, like, uh, let's just say, you know, the Kings' problems right now and uh, the Kings has of this recording or down 3-0 to the Sharks uh, game four tonight at Staples Center and uh, unlike most podcasts uh, that I do this will be released today so it's current you know usually I just tape a whole bunch of them and release them down the road so my friends are plugging shows that happened four months ago on the (laughs) podcast but you know like I would say uh, noticing the King's problems right now uh, that uh, Robin Regeer has the turning radius of the Titanic (laughs) well the defense is certainly a problem and that's something that you know coach T excuse me uh, GM Dean Lombardi tried to address at the trade deadline by getting some help on the blue line it didn't happen and uh, what you have is you have some really young guys in terms of Dowdy and Voinoff and Martinez and you have some really old guys uh, in terms of Robin Regeer a lot of mileage you know there on Robin Regeer plus Scuderi being gone and then you have uh, Willie Mitchell who's playing on probably one good knee so it's it is really tough for them and that's the key thing that they're missing it it all comes down to in this series not having a shutdown defenseman in my mind forget the scoring they don't have the defenseman that they need in the lineup right now and that's why I think there'll be major changes to this lineup uh, come summer and let me tell you this. I love Robin Regeer. We had a very in-depth conversation at the Comedy Store where he was enamored with my knowledge of John Scott, <laughs> you know, because I was obsessed with just John Scott. And you obsessed with a, a, a hockey enforcer? <laughs> yeah. This is the breaking news, and this is why you need to release this podcast right away. Oh, this is going literally... While you're in your car going back to Staples, this podcast will be released. And, <laughs> Great. Because uh, I've always wanted to have you on, but you're, 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 you're unlike most of my friends, busy, working, <laughs> well, making right. a living. Uh, most of my friends are like, hey, can you come over there? Like, yeah, what time? Yeah, well, I'm going to tell you, I didn't get a chance to tell you this before you hit record, but I, we're going to become better friends because now that I realize how close you live actually to the Viper Room and uh, to Sunset Strip for the music festival, I hate parking uh, down here during the, the uh, uh, Sunset Strip Music Festival, Awful. which is my favorite weekend of the year. But you have great parking, so uh, Earl, I'll be back in early August for the for the uh, festival. Well, you know, I, I think that the, the Sunset Music Festival is really missing the boat. I really think that what made the strip are the hair bands. You know, I really think that they should get, well, they're not going to be able to get rat, but uh, <laughs> we'll get into that, right? <laughs> certain members, you, you get the, well, they can't get quite right either. Uh, you know, they could get Frankie Benali and his three Mexican friends who are playing in it right now. You know, those bands made the strip. And so I don't know why they concentrate on getting like Marilyn Manson or, or, you know, corn or, or, you know, it's like, 
they had nothing to do with this. Yeah, they've had some really weird selections, although they've been interesting to see and maybe even done nice sets. I mean, like Bush. I, I didn't get the connection of why Bush was at the Sunset Strip Music Festival. When Ozzy played, okay, I kind of understood that. And some of the other bands, you know, the Pumpkins are from Chicago, the Smashing Pumpkins, but it was it was great to see them, I guess. Motley Crue was incredible, but, you know, where's Van Halen? Obviously, they've had a lot to do with the Sunset Strip Music Fest. The Red Hot Chili Peppers were going to be honored, but then they didn't play. Like, it's just a lot of strange things, and they have a new... Uh they have a new management group that's uh, taken over. Uh, Nederlander, I believe, is involved okay. this year. So we'll see what that means for booking of the bands. But I'm just going to say this. I love being on the Sunset Strip at night so much. And it's always about being indoors, whether it's the Cat Club, the Roxy, the Whiskey, the Viper Room. I mean, you know. But to be outdoors that Saturday and to be walking freely up and down Sunset between the Viper Room and the Roxy, it's just a weird, weird deal with the food trucks out there and the two stages. I love it. I mean, it's just, it takes you back as much as we can go back to that era, you know, because I was, you know, I lived here in, in that time frame. And so I had to drive through that anywhere I was going. And it was like an ant farm of horny dudes and <laughs> whores and, you know, cocaine. And flyers. Yeah. <laughs> Everywhere. No MySpace. There was no internet, yeah, I right. don't think. So if you That were, was Twitter. It was an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. Yeah. That was Twitter. <laughs> but Sunset Strip was a virtual Twitter. I mean, you had Poison putting up their flyers and then Rat would come by and put up their flyers and Cinderella would, you know, warrant and you know if i was booking sunset music festival i would be paging richard black right now and say get shark island back together okay <laughs> now let's get your deal on uh, your opinion on cinderella for me i think they're one of the most underrated bands of that era they were never as popular they never sold as many records they were never as big as poison and some of the other bands that you've named there but for my money they were the best it, Every single guy in that band is a musician. Just an amazing group of musicians. I think they're very underrated. Oh, my God. I, it's still today, I mean, you see them live, and you're like, wow, this band's really talented. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to get Fred Curry on the podcast. Now, you know, Fred does music for the Kings. Right, which I love. Okay. Because the other night during a face-off, a Britney Fox song came on. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, uh, someone in the 80s is in charge here. And he had the best quote ever, I think, of any musician and I told him this one night at uh, the gay pavilions where I shop. He must live around here. I, I believe so. Mm -hmm. um, I said, dude, you had the best quote ever. And he's like, what's that, man? First of all, he came up to me because he thought I was Vivian Campbell. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, just when I had my Kenny G hair. I was noticing today, you're all cleaned up, you know? This is Metallica. I sold out. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> I've gone corporate. Oh, that's not going to last long then. <laughs> I'm just trying to make it before I'm 50. All right. Uh, the clock is ticking. I'm like a pro wrestler. My, my clock is ticking. Well, you're seeing a lot of those guys, though, still uh, having success into their 40s. But back to the quote. What was the great quote, Earl? I just want to be good enough to play on the albums. <laughs> that is a great quote. And as like a 25-year-old, when I heard that, I'm like, what do you mean? Right. And that was a real eye-opener to me that, you know, then I started doing research on my favorite bands, and it was heartbreaking to find out that most big bands don't play on their own albums. How crazy is that? Like in, this is what I'm obsessed with. There was a black bass player in the Plasmatics by the name of Jean Beauvoir. And he was the bass player in Kiss on the studio albums in the 80s. Did not know that. And it was like, wow, a black guy in Kiss. Who saw that coming? <laughs> he would, There's a big story. A, it's is he really, alive? Is he available? That's a guy you need to get on the podcast. Well, I have a problem with this particular gentleman because oh, uh, really? my ex-girlfriend, uh, the great Shelley Bergren, 
Uh, she manages Motorhead, co-manages Motorhead. And uh, one night at uh, Long Beach Arena, it was Motorhead, Dio, and Iron Maiden. It's a number of years ago. Uh, yeah, no, this is, uh, yeah, it, it was a Dio. <laughs> it was not a recent show. Yeah. Ronnie was still alive, thankfully. Well, the most impressive thing I've ever seen at a concert was, you know, Motorhead was great. They did their thing, and then Dio came on, and everyone from Maiden, everyone from Motorhead, everyone left backstage to watch Dio sing. And it was just like, that's respect. Mm -hmm. You know, when Lemmy leaves his Jack Daniels and a black stripper friend in the locker room saying, I, I got to watch. Yeah. That's like, wow. But the bass player, the black bass player, Jean Beauvoir was there. And after that night, we connected again. I gave him all these pictures to sign for me and he never gave them back to me. Oh, these were rare pictures. So I know that, Oh, mother effer sold them on eBay or something. It's like, and you know, a lot of these guys now, now I know why they don't have fans. <laughs> why would you rip off your only fucking fan? Yeah, well, they just don't, they don't see the forest of the trees. It's all about today. You know, it goes back to the reporting. Actually. I mean, I, I can bring this kind of full circle for you is that, Please. you know, so, some people are more worried about clicks on their website or they're more worried about getting internet fame, you know, today. And they're not looking at the big picture. So, you know, there are a lot of stories that, you hear in the locker room or talking to the players and you know, I, I could put those stories out there today. I could probably write a book, but you know, that's going to prevent me from getting future stories. So right. it's all about building relationships with athletes and, and also with the people in the organization as well, whether you're talking about the marketing people, the PR people or, you know, whatnot. So it's not always about covering up and burying or, or being a spokesperson for the team or, you know, that sort of thing. It's about building healthy relationships. And when you have that respect, they respect what you do. So it's okay to say something negatively about the team. If it's fair and honest, and balanced and it's not just you out there shooting your mouth off to become the next you know uh uh tj simers or you know something like that you know it's being it doing it in a constructive way and certainly the kings when they've had their struggles over the last couple years they've given you an opportunity to question whether you know it's their their coaching or whether it's to uh, question their forwards who aren't generating offense or things like that but at the end of the day you know um i enjoy the people side of of the reporting when it comes to athletes because they really are people you know just like you and i and they have great stories well i mean I mean, that's what I like about your reporting is it's, you know, it's, it's unlike Fox news. It's really is fair and balanced and you know, they're, they are humans. Like, you know, when I said the thing about Robin Ruggier, that's a pretty shitty thing to say. I mean, here are the guys in the NHL for 15 years and some schmuck is like saying, you know, yeah, I'm kidding. Right. But you know, uh, yeah, I'm sure you could release a book. I'm sure you've been back, not backstage, but in the locker room and seen some things, you know, groupies or whatever, maybe a player was married sneaking off or, uh, you know, I've uh, never seen any of that Earl. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm just saying I, you, you could be like Matt Drudge and re- release, right. you know, the, uh, the Hoven report. Sure. And, uh, well, you have to question, do you want to be the TMZ of sports or do you want to be something else? And you kind of have to set those benchmarks right. up there. And I think early on when I had that fork in the road, you know, I decided to go left instead of to go right because, uh, like I mentioned earlier, it just it wasn't as important for me to get clicks and, and, and that sort of thing and, and build that sort of a reputation. To me, it was it was more about respect. And uh, I felt that if you know I was respectful, that people would be respectful back to me. And I think that's why I was able to develop a lot of relationships with players, coaches, GMs and all that sort of stuff. And uh, pretty pleased so far, but still a lot of... Uh, 
a, a long way to go to get to the ultimate thing. Like you said, you know, you want to you want to make it before you're 50. Well, yeah, I do. I mean, you've already. I made do too. It. No, come on now. I mean, you know, uh, the world of stand up is uh, there's a lot of. Uh, <laughs> it's not quite. You know, I'm from LA, so I thought, oh, you know, I'll just work hard. I'm starting to figure out that may not have been the best battle plan, but you, you know, I mean, the Kings are backs against the wall. Uh, I mean, it's it's. I don't know how. I mean, three zero. I don't know how they do it. I mean, how they come back. Yeah. I mean, you know, really the way you come back is it's a long list of cliches. So first of all, you have to believe in yourself. Second, you have to believe in your teammates. And that's one thing that this group has been really good about over the last couple of years is despite all the outside distractions, they fired coach Terry Murray. They've gone through major scoring slumps. They've been out of the playoff race. They've had to claw their way back into the playoff races at different times. And, you know, even being the eight seed back in 2012 inside that room, they all love each other. They respect each other as corny as that sounds. And they all believe each other and so even this morning at morning skate the uh, the players they're not down the morale's not gone uh they still believe that they can come back in this series and that they need to support each other and they need to believe in each other and they do and you know kind of further down that list of cliches you have things like taking it one game at a time and that really is what it is it's not about trying to win four games tonight it's about trying to get one victory it's been a challenge but in each game if you want to look at the glass being half full, they could pick out and say, we did this really well in this game. Maybe it was only for five minutes. Maybe it was for 30 minutes, but we did this well. Let's continue to do more of that. I also think the line changes tonight, tonight are going to make an impact. Now, what are they going to be? Uh, up front, you're going to have Dustin Brown moving back into a top six role, which for me is very important. He's the captain of the team. He's the leader of the team. He sets the tone. And when he is on, he is one of the best players on that team. Very underappreciated and underrespected by certain pockets of people. But for my money, one of the best pound-for-pound captains in the National Hockey League. He moves back up. He's going to play with Andre Kopitar, and he's going to play with Marion Gabrick. I like that line. A couple days ago, I tweeted out the suggestion and I thought that Carter, who normally I argue to keep him as a wing and not play as center, he's going to play at center with two kids in Tanner Pearson and Tyler Toffoli, a, a pair of kids that uh, have a lot of chemistry together playing in the AHL over the last couple of years with a dynamic center down there named Lyndon Vay, who's still in match, of course. Um, and so they're going to have Carter at center tonight. And I really like that line as well. I think it's going to give them a, a scoring threat that they haven't really had in this series so far. And down on the third line, you have you know two Wiley veterans and Jared Stoll and Justin Williams playing along a, a guy who's had a, a pretty good year after, I would say, a down year last year in Dwight King, a big heavy body who plays a good puck possession game. And you have strengths down the middle still on the fourth line. Mike Richards will be there on the fourth line along with Kyle Clifford and Trevor Lewis. So, you know, you have kind of that uh, more defensive oriented, you know, skill grit, tough, however you want to describe that line. And uh, we all know who's starting in goal, despite what all these weirdos on Twitter want to talk about. Uh, the starting goaltender for the LA Kings tonight will be number 32, Jonathan Quick. I mean, I get, and that's what drives me up a wall when I listen to Kings talk after. You get these <laughs> fans who are maybe slightly inebriated. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know how Nick and Daryl do it. Cause Nick I, is a saint, right? <laughs> I would have been fired from that job. You know, uh, what, some guy called up... Uh, Talking about how, you know, maybe we're a little slow on defense. Why don't we just get P.K. Subban next year? Like, it's this is not fantasy hockey here. And, and you know what? That's actually become my favorite line this season is talking to certain people on Twitter and replying. I'm like, dude, this is an Xbox. Just stop it. Yeah. You know, you're, and it's the same thing. You know, it's funny you bring up fantasy hockey, though, because it does tie into the Kings overall. People that really know this team understand that it's not about the number of goals that Dustin Brown or Kopitar or Carter score because it's not fantasy hockey. That's not 
not how Sutter and Lombardi have built the team. It's about how many goals have they scored relative to their teammates because this team is built on defense first, offense second. They're not a run-and-gun team. They're never going to win a scoring title. They're not built like the Pittsburgh Penguins or some of the other high-flying run-and-gun. Uh, what was the old coach of the Atlanta uh, Falcons? Jerry, uh, Jerry Glanville. And Jerry Glanville, yeah. It's Jerry, Jerry Glanville is not uh, Daryl Sutter. So... Uh, uh, Darius Sutter is not Jerry Glanville. Uh, they're just not a run and gun team. So it, it doesn't matter how many goals they score. If they could win every game two to one, that would be perfectly fine for the LA Kings. What I love about Jerry Glanville is every game he used to leave tickets for Elvis. Isn't that awesome? And, I mean, I wish, I mean, Sutter definitely, he seems like a pretty serious guy. So you think? I'm not sure if he's, uh, he's got the same expression win, lose, win the Stanley Cup. I kind of, and I like him, you know, uh, and I love Dean Lombardi. He well, how can you not like GM Dean Lombardi, right? I mean, Lombardi comes in and he has a roadmap and he has all these Excel spreadsheets with boxes and everything. And he tries to basically explain to the fan base what he's going to do. Here's my road. It's almost like he was talking to them just like he sold himself to ownership during the interview. This is my roadmap. This is how I'm going to build this team into a winner. It starts with a goaltender and then I'm going to get defensemen and then I'm going to build for the, you know, out to the forwards. And uh, these are the players that we have now. Here are our boxes. Uh, these are these are how I rank them and I grade them and I need these other players and people all of a sudden he was so honest people were questioning him well, wait a minute what do you mean that guy's a C-level player you know you're paying that guy four million dollars a year he said well you know that's the contract that he's under right now and I had to pay him that but he's a bridge player he's only going to play for us for two years people didn't understand why he signed Cloutier but when you talk to him he gives you all these reasons he is like a mad scientist and if you ever uh you know, go into his office and, and, and you see the whiteboards with all the things everywhere. You know, the guy, he lives, eats, drinks, sleeps, breathes hockey. And all that guy thinks about is how to build a better winner. He is obsessed with the Stanley Cup. He might need therapy when he finally retires someday. Well, I'll have him on this podcast and we'll just let them all hang out. That would be great. But I mean, you know, he got a lot of shit. Uh, for the Sharks, teams that he built, great regular seasons, not mm-hmm. being able to finish. And, you know, he, he came into a relatively bare situation here and uh, took him a few years, mm-hmm. you know. And I mean, but hey, what do I know? I was a Sam McMaster fan, so. <laughs> Sam still shows up at the game every once in a while. He's doing some scouting, I believe, for the Nashville Predators, if I have the team right. And it's always weird to me when I see Sam McMaster up in the press box, just because my vision of Sam McMaster, like you, would be back to the days of the forum and the Gretzky era and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So it's just strange. Certain people that are still hanging around the game, you know, like Dave Taylor is credentialed by the St. Louis Blues. That's strange to me. Dave Taylor will always be an L.A. King. Oh, sure. But, you know, that's like the dark era of the Kings. McMaster? That, but, but I think he gets, you know, that's like the Kiss uh, Crazy Nights era, you know, yeah. where they were just <laughs> grabbing at straws. But people, like, don't understand what McMaster had to work with, which was a fucking nothing. I mean, you know, the equipment companies weren't delivering because they had no money. Right. And this guy's supposed to get free agents? I mean, right. I know he wanted to sign Pat Verbeek for like a million dollars a year. I was like, are you kidding me? We can't even get our sticks. You right. Sign so I'm, I have a soft spot in my heart for Sam McMaster. You should get Sam on the podcast. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not, you know, I, I would love to. Okay. Uh, basically, people ask me, Earl, how do you get on your podcast i'm like you just show up 
<laughs> you just find the parking lot and you're and you're yeah. good to go. You park in my garage right, right. behind me. I, I mean, like it. Uh, you know that's how I got David Arquette on the show. It's funny you mentioned that because when I was uh, watching your Twitter a couple weeks ago and I saw it, I go, really? He had David Arquette on. Now I thought maybe you ran into him at the comedy club because you know when we were at the uh, the Iron Sheik right. uh, roast, he was there. Speaking of possibly inebriated, I'm not sure, but uh, might have been, <laughs> might have been, <laughs> but that was a great night. Oh, of course. I mean, I was dressed up as the ultimate warrior. Rest in peace. Uh, James Helwig, warrior, whatever you want to, you know, uh, remember him by. Because they told me, listen, Earl, the Iron Sheik is so nuts that if you dress up as ultimate warrior, he'll think it's him. And right. I'm like, no, he can't be that, like, out there. <laughs> right. And I remember walking in the back of the, the, the green room of the comedy store, which is a legendary green room because that's where Kennison did Coke and, like, Ted Nugent was back. And the Iron Sheik looks at me and goes, what the fuck are you doing here, you <laughs> piece of shit? I fuck you in the ass. He's, he's very homophobic, the Sheik. Great guy, though. An amazing guy. But he's got some issues with the uh, yeah. this community that I live in. And uh, Brutus Beefcake was there. Which, which was, to me was so weird. Was it weird to you? Like, you know, you were kind enough to have me down there. I'm, I'm there, and I, I go up to the Sheik, and I want to get a picture. And I mean, I'm honored, right, to meet yeah. the Iron Sheik. And I'm hoping that he's going to go off on me, right, just, just for the great story that it would that I would be able to tell for the next 20 years. And he's so nice and polite and he shakes my hand with both hands and he wants me to sit down next to him and talk to him and take a picture and everything. And there's beefcake with his fanny pack. And you know, he's like bronze beyond bronze. And he has like a tight pink, uh, like a muscle shirt under armor. Yeah, And I just didn't, I'm like Brutus beefcake. Why are you here with the iron cheek? I could name 20 wrestlers that I thought would have rolled out for the Iron Sheik's uh, uh, roast. Well, British Beefcake was not one of them. Beefcake's uh, wrestling schedule is like my stand-up schedule. It's, it's wide open. A lot of open yeah, dates. He had an opening that day. So, okay. And the day after. But the coolest thing, and it's like, I, I won't say it's one of the highlights of my life, is when I uh, was roasting Beefcake. You know, and I think my line was, Brutus, you've had a lot of nicknames. You know, Brutus the Barber, uh, the Disciple. A booty man, but one nickname you'll never have is Brutus the Good Wrestler. <laughs> yeah. And he poured beer on me. And Some of your lines were, uh, you, you went a little further than I would have, but why not? I mean, it was a once in a lifetime gig, right? What's the warrior, you know, and the warrior, uh, you know, what I did was I had my girlfriend at the time bring out a table full of uh, I think baking soda and I simulated doing coke. Yes, you did. And then I had her uh, unhook uh, my shorts and put a hypodermic needle in my ass. And, you know, it's uh, too soon probably, but let's be honest. Uh, we've been doing this podcast now for probably about 20 minutes and probably three pro wrestlers have died. So, yes, you know, it's uh, it's you and I, we share in a a love for wrestling as well as UFC, I guess, as we've graduated into our uh, older years into MMA. Of course, I know you like pride as well, but it's always good to talk about uh, Ultimate Warrior and, and all those those days gone by, I guess. Uh, too many uh, certainly have died. My favorite growing up was Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning. So. Oh, I mean, the, another one who's not with us. And it's like, uh, the, I think the greatest uh, promo, I don't want to say sketch, was the one where they had Mr. Perfect doing everything. Right. Like, he would throw the football, and then they'd show him catching it. <laughs> right. And apparently, everything in that video happened but the football. Like, he would throw a basketball, and it would go in, and, and uh, I think there was some other, uh, like, horseshoes. Right. He was just a natural athlete, just, yeah, yeah. And ridiculous. It's just, and it's like, you know, Roddy Piper comes up to the store a lot. 
And it's so sad. Like he loves us all. And, you know, I mean, he's Piper. He's like a top five guy of all time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Definitely. Probably the number one heel ever. And well, I mean, you have Ric Flair. I mean, you know. But I mean, yeah, I mean, Flair, I guess Piper was a good guy, too. But I mean, uh, no, Piper definitely is known more for being a heel. Absolutely. Yeah. Than, than being a face. But it's so like sad to talk about the old matches he was in. And, and you realize that, wow, every guy I've mentioned is dead. Right. You know, it's like when I was talking to him about Rick Rude, who is my favorite heel. Oh, how do you time. not like Rude? Yeah, of course. He was incredible. I mean, just the whole sh- I mean, I'm thinking uh, so much of buying a pair of his ring worn pants on eBay right now for $1,400. <laughs> Earl, you don't need them. You were kind enough to take me into Capone's vault up there, which uh, according to you, only a few people have been witness to and to see hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of hockey jerseys. I I, I love Rick Rude, but I don't think you need to spend $1,400 on a pair of his pants. Just go get those jeans airbrushed and call it a day. But they're the best. They're a pair of teal ring, tie, ring uh, leggings, I guess right. he wore. Does he have the Intercontinental belt on there, though? You have to have the Intercontinental belt. No. It's even uh, better. It's on each leg is a pair uh, is one female hand going up to the crotch area. Okay. And I, I'm telling you, I was a little nuts on some of these jerseys I have upstairs. Yes, you were. I, well, I mean, it's ridiculous. And now I don't even wear them anymore. Well, okay. So if you buy these uh, pants of Rick Rude's, you're going to wear them? I might wear them for a special show. Okay. But, you know, the, the reason why I don't wear the jerseys anymore is uh, I did a show for Barry Katz, who is uh, the creator of Last Comic Standing. And there was a show called One Night Stand Up. And uh, long story short, uh, it was a dating show where the girl never saw you. She just heard your act. And it was at the comedy store, and it was packed house. And I thought this is right around the time of the Duke lacrosse case. So I was just about to go on stage with a long bomb joke right out of the gate. And I had a hockey jersey on, a Matt Barnaby jersey. And Barry Katz grabs me by the shirt and goes, what the fuck are you doing? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, you can't wear these on TV because of the logos. So I had to perform in an Affliction shirt that I had on underneath. <laughs> okay, this podcast is over. <laughs> you were wearing an Affliction shirt. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> I used- I'm, I'm done, Earl. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> I bombed so badly that night. Because my, my first joke was about the Duke lacrosse case. Because uh, if you remember, that was uh, the case where the uh, mm-hmm. two black uh, dancers said that the whole lacrosse team raped her. The captain of the lacrosse team had a degree in economics. So my first joke was, hey, if anyone knew 47 didn't go into two, it was that guy. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing in the room? But my friend David Taylor, who's a very brilliant comic, but he's very dark. I mean, he's into some real dark jokes and i like oh wow if he's the only one laughing i'm in trouble well i I thought that was a good opener well in hindsight not a great joke for a dating show to do a gangbang rape joke oh well okay that timing is everything and that might have been the wrong timing well then the second joke was even worse because i got so scared i'm like well i'm gonna do my blacks and hockey joke which is a harmless joke about, hey, you know, no one knows that there's over 70 black players in the NHL because they all have white names. <laughs> <laughs> they have names like George LaRock, Donald Brashear, 
Fred. I mean, wait a Freddie Brathwaite? Yeah, he's, absolutely. He's, he's just Fred? Number four. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Brathwaite could sound semi-African, so I thought I'll just say Fred. Fred. Nothing. <laughs> well, since you love just, you know, going off in different directions, I will share with you. Among my many travels, uh, seeing hockey all across North America, one of my favorite stories is going to see the Kings play the Oilers up in Edmonton. Obviously, this is a number of years ago when the players were involved. But uh, Freddie Brathwaite and Jason Arnott were playing for the Oilers at the time. And uh, after the game, some friends and I decided to go over to a local watering hole to have a few post-game drinks. And who was behind the bar tending, uh, tending bar that night after a big win from the Oilers? It was Jason Arnott and Freddie Brathwaite. And to me, they, oh, will, wow. they will always uh, kind of be elevated a little bit up above uh, some of the other players because, you know, they had two jobs. They're doing double duty. Not only were they National Hockey League players, but I guess... Bartenders on the side as well. It was a lot of fun. Well, I mean, uh, for, he was a very good goalie. He, he was know. serviceable. I mean, yeah, he was yeah. a good backup. I wouldn't say he was a, you know, starting goaltender in the National Hockey League, but uh, he was certainly a serviceable backup. I mean, he was no pokey Reddick, but I mean, okay, you you're know. getting all geeked out on me now. Are we, we, we going to talk fuck you Fuji and some of these other guys too? No pokey. Uh, well, you know, you know, that, this is breaking news okay. by the way. But by the way, pokey Reddick was a black goalie for the Winnipeg Jets primarily. He had Jerry Curl. It was a great visual. Um, but uh, because nothing says Winnipeg like a black goalie, right? Well, I mean, I've been to Winnipeg. <laughs> okay, now let me ask you. I've been to Winnipeg too. That was also that was Gretzky's final uh, game ever was in Winnipeg in oh, 1990. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, a little side story then. So uh, doing a trek through Western Canada, we ended up in in Winnipeg. Uh, two things about that: one is that we uh, had two days off between games, so uh, we said, "Oh, let's go check out a junior game." So we're going to go to Brandon, which is about two hours away. When you get five minutes outside of Winnipeg, it is nothing. It is just completely flat. It's barren. There's snow on the ground. It was white for as long as we could see. We were absolutely freezing because Winnipeg is the coldest place ever, right? And uh, for those that uh, can't see, Earl is like shivering and nodding his head. So Yeah, so we drive two hours. We get to Brandon. It's freezing cold. And outside of the arena in Brandon, everybody is either smoking or eating ice cream. Which I guess when you're freezing cold, those are the only two things that you can do. Awesome game though, Winnipeg, uh, the uh, Brandon Wheat Kings versus the Tri City Americans. Uh, I think there ended up being eight players in that game, if I remember correctly, that were taken in the first round. That's, oh, wow. that's a pretty good junior game right there. Wade Redden was kind of the uh, oh, the, wow. the, the biggest name. Yeah, it was an incredible game. And then back uh, in Winnipeg there, because Winnipeg was leaving. This is a story that you'll appreciate. You know, they do the uh, the game used, the, uh, the auctions, you know, for charity in between the... Uh, oh, I know. Uh, yeah, I know you know, right? So this is my favorite thing about that game there. So uh, Winnipeg's leaving. They're selling off the building. They're selling everything. To, you know, try to last, uh, last cash grab, if you will. Keith Kachuk's pants, game used and autographed pants, sold at the charity auction table that night for... I just thought, no wonder why your NHL team is leaving town when Keith Kachuk's game-used pants uh, sell for $75. A 500-goal scorer the National Hockey League. Not at that point, but of course, I mean, he would go on to be. So, uh, yeah, that was Gretzky's final game. It was awesome. Went to the practice earlier, the morning skate earlier in the day. Kind of, everybody kind of started to know that something was about to go down soon. And, you know, Yari Curry was still there and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And Gretzky was mobbed by the media in Canada anytime the Kings played up there. But at that particular time, it was really starting to heat up that he was probably going to be leaving. So uh, played the game that night in the uh, old Winnipeg arena. We flew home the next day on two separate flights. Uh, I flew commercial, and of course, the team flew on a private charter, I would imagine. 
we landed at LAX uh, within about 30 minutes of each other, and uh, there was a press conference held basically immediately that saying that Wayne Gretzky uh, had been traded, and that was the end of that. You know, two weeks later, he came back with the St. Louis Blues, and I remember I've never had a feeling like that sitting in an arena. It was the weirdest feeling being at the Forum that night, watching him skate around in his St. Louis Blues jersey after all those great things he did for the Kings organization for eight years before that. Well, I mean, that was, uh, I think that was a McMaster trade. Uh, <laughs> well, to be he honest. may have been the GM at the time, but that was really, let's, let's call it what it was. It was a Wayne Gretzky move. You know, oh, sure. you know Gretz did what he wanted to do and, and, uh, he orchestrated that to go to St. Louis to, to play with his friend, Brett Hall. And it's kind of funny because only diehard hockey fans really know that the, the casual hockey fan still thinks of Gretzky as either being an oiler, a King or a Ranger, of course, kind of like Reggie Jackson, I guess, maybe yeah. playing for the Oakland A's. Or uh, Dave Parker playing for the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, the Cobra. By the way, just it's completely side note. Dave Parker's nickname was the Cobra, and I always he was my favorite player as a kid. And I always thought it was the way he would wiggle the bat, you know, as he was batting. Apparently, he had a huge dick. So you know, it's just something. Not King Cobra, just Cobra. Glad that you worked that into the podcast, though. We needed to know that. But that's why it's called Inappropriate Earl. <laughs> okay. You know, like when Tawny Katane was on, I asked her about O.J. Simpson. Get out! <laughs> and that was the only... Tawny Katane was, first of all, she was amazing. Uh, looks beautiful to this day. And uh, that was the only uh, gentleman from her past that she wouldn't talk about. And I respected that. You had to. She didn't even want to mention his name. I'm like, who don't you want to talk about? She's like, you know who. I'm like, no, I don't. And she's like, you know who, Earl. I'm like, let me just ask you this. If you're ever in Florida, I hear the orange juice is amazing. And he's like, yes, uh, moving on. Well, let's hey. take it to Tommy Lee, Tony. And so I, but what, speaking of Winnipeg, I was there with Rob Schneider playing their comedy club, great comedy club. And uh, as you mentioned, it is ungodly cold there. <laughs> I, you can't explain to people how cold it is unless you go there. It's on such another level and i went to walk to the mall uh outside of our hotel there's one mall it's park something uh and i'm standing on the street corner i literally have two pairs of pants on i have a pair of just regular pants sweats over the pants two sweatshirts and a jacket and there's a guy in the corner in flip-flops and shorts no there's not i on my witness <laughs> obviously a local yeah. he looks at me and goes where are you from, man? I'm like, L.A. And he just starts shaking his head going, pussy. <laughs> and I could not argue with him. <laughs> right. It was minus five. This guy's in flip-flops and shorts. Something's wrong with him. But I loved, I don't think I've ever been in a city that's more hockey mad than, than Winnipeg. I mean, it was so neat to be, that whole city revolves around hockey. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I checked into my hotel, which I guess is where the teams, I think is where the Kings stay. And there was a Jersey on my bed with my last name and number on it. Like, no way. Made for me. It's like, I mean, it was just so mind blowing that, that they, you know, all the hotel employees wearing Jets jerseys. You'd go down to the bar, Jets jersey. I mean, it was just awesome to be in that kind of, like King fans, I think are great and underappreciated. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they're like Motorhead fans. Like, they're smaller in number than, but they're more knowledgeable than most fans. And that's uh, a, that you're absolutely right. I think Kings fans are the most knowledgeable uh, of of all fan bases in Los Angeles. If you were to compare to Lakers, Kings, I mean Lakers, Dodgers, Clippers, or whatever, Kings fans are incredibly knowledgeable. But I do want to get back to Winnipeg real quick. Uh, talk about how hockey crazy they are. 
took that trip over to Brandon. Across the street from the arena, there's a McDonald's. Go through the drive-thru there. They have a hockey hero meal, which was like $5.99. And what this was, it was, you know, fries and a Coke, but the burger was a McRib bun, so it's elongated, right. with three cheeseburger patties on it. That's the hockey hero meal. And you get with it as a prize, you get signed wooden hockey sticks from the junior team. Oh, wow. Yeah, so forget the Disney toys. You get little mini hockey sticks signed by the entire team. So like Wade Redden, the kids in that neighborhood would have had him on a on a stick. I mean, that's a pretty cool prize if you're a kid. Try doing that at uh, Staples Center at <laughs> yeah, McDonald's. Right. You'll get <laughs> shot on Broadway. <laughs> well, I don't think a lot. Of, it's kind of a dirty secret, I think, of Staples Center area. If you go like a couple blocks east on Broadway, it's Skid Row. So, I yeah. mean... There's 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 a revitalization that's taking place. I think all throughout downtown. Well, they better hurry on yeah, Broadway. Well, all throughout downtown. I you know it's a lot better now than it was ten years oh, ago. Oh my god, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, I don't think people realize ten years ago. Uh, when was Staples open? Ninety nine. Ninety nine. Yep. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, four shows. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know he was, uh, or that area was not. It looked like a set of the wire i mean well, was... <laughs> la live was a parking lot which is even you know it's really funny because when staples first opened i parked where essentially like uh yard house is today that was yeah. my parking lot <laughs> oh that was i think it was lot four and uh you know it was like it was so convenient just to park there and walk across yeah, and... no yeah if you got there early enough and you parked at the front of the lot you literally just walked across the street and you were 10 steps into the arena i mean it's amazing the best parking ever what they've done to that area. I mean, just, I, I don't even, LA lives in the Kia theater and the, the yard house and the sushi places. And, uh, now Earl, speaking of LA live and Nokia, where were you last night? I'm at the revolver golden God awards. And I thought if there was ever a show that I would run into you, I mean, I know I run into you at some of the other shows on the sunset strip, but guns and roses was headlining last night and they played for over an hour. Absolutely amazing. Duff was back with the band. Where were you? Uh, last night I was doing a, uh, a show in Montebello headlining uh, where I got paid in Uber coupons. Outstanding. <laughs> What's in Montebello? Uh, That's off the 60. I, I yeah, know, yeah, I know where it is. deep. I was in the VFW section. Uh, okay. Very few whites. And, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you know uh, I, I'm not... To me, it's not Guns N' Roses. I, I know, you know. I will respect that. I contradict myself though, because I still go see Kiss, and Kiss is basically the Jewish Menudo now. I mean, with uh, how they. No, come on. And I'm friends with Eric Singer. Come on. Yeah, and I love Tommy Thayer from his Black and Blue days. Tommy is an amazing guitarist. But with Kiss, absolutely, and Bruce Kulick was yeah. uh, is an amazing guitarist. You know, I'm incredibly partial to the great. Vincent Cusano, who you might know better as Vinnie Vincent. Mm -hmm. Now, let's talk about this, though, Earl. I'm a little confused here. So, Kiss, half the band is there. It's Paul and Gene, of course, and, and then these other guys in makeup. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, no, only for no. the purpose of the conversation. Love Kiss. Uh, just saw them out at San Manuel for their little acoustic deal that they did after the whole debacle from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Love Kiss. Uh, Ace Freely was there last night, uh, actually, at the, the Golden Gods. Had a chance to talk to him for a few minutes. That was outstanding. But You'll go and see and support that kiss, the new kiss, 2014. But Guns N' Roses, you can't do? Uh, you know, with Duff, I might have gone, eh, hey, that would be cool to see him. I, I just, 
because I'm a big fan of his. How uh, can you not be? <laughs> yeah, he's great. And you know, Duff is amazing in every band that he's in, right? He start, you know, he has yeah. walking papers, his band loaded. Yeah. You know, he's been involved with the Velvet Revolver. I mean, everything that guy does is awesome. I just, you know, with Guns N' Roses, the, those original five guys, much like the original Kiss, they just had a hunger and a dirtiness. And, yeah. And it's nothing against the guys in the DJ Ash, but I think yeah, DJ is he, great. He's awesome. He's awesome. Now, do you are you familiar with his previous band, Beautiful, Beautiful Creatures? Creatures? Amazing. Yeah, they played the strip for a long time. Oh yeah, uh, you know. I think I, I blew his mind when I mentioned Beautiful Creatures last night. Well, yeah, most. <laughs> he just kind of looked at me like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know? How do you know? How do you know about Beautiful Creatures? Well, it's like when I was at uh, Equal. Well, I, I don't want to. Well, I guess uh, I was at Equinox working out. And Fred, I had, this is the most random thing. I had an arcade tour shirt on. Okay. Now, arcade was the band uh, that Fred was in with Stephen Piercy in the early 90s. You talk about a band that just hit the scene too late. Uh, great band. Uh, and Fred Curry stopped dead in his tracks. <laughs> and he's like, where did you get that? <laughs> and I got into his face like a UFC poster. I'm like... 94, the forum, Bon Jovi, <laughs> merch booth, outside colonnade, section 24. That's outstanding right there. And it was literally the only arcade shirt at the merch booth. Not the only style. It was literally the only one. One shirt. Well, fortunately, the size was okay. Then it's, it's perfect. Yeah. I mean, it didn't matter. You were gonna get it. You were gonna wear it. Bon Jovi had like, uh, like very kiss like, you know, a hundred different style shirts: the baseball shirts, long sleeve shirts, right. women's shirts, uh, tod toddler shirts, uh, transgender shirts. They were even doing the toddler shirts back yeah. then. That's uh, good to know. Bon Richie Sambora was at the show last night too. Well, you know, he, he where get, were you? You know, I just, uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I just didn't resonate with you, huh? You know, it didn't. Okay. You know, and you know, I, I think I was psychic. You know, we, those of us in the rock and roll community, very bad news today. Um, you know, this is breaking news on inappropriate Earl, given to me by Stevie Rochelle at Metal Sludge, who, by the way, is the responsible. I never thank him for doing this. He is responsible for the soundtrack to Inappropriate Earl. His band Tough, which was, you know, uh, Poison Light, uh, you know, provides the music for this show. Uh, he broke the news that uh, the great Stephen Piercy has left Rat. Again. After th yeah, he'll be back. Back for more, as they say. Uh, <laughs> nice. You know, 30 years. Well, Bobby Blotzer posted something uh, maybe that sh he shouldn't have. Uh, you know, uh, the, if you watch the show Big Brother, as I know you do and I do, uh, one of the contestants is a big metal guy named Evil Dick. And he uh, got beat up or something and posted the picture of it. And Bobby Blotzer posted, gee, I wish this would happen to my lead singer. And uh, I think that was enough to uh you know i i don't know what goes to like we were talking earlier you know what is piercy doing leaving rat maybe he makes more money on his solo shows you know the ins and outs of the business yeah, I, I i can't imagine that he makes more money on his solo shows i mean he might get a bigger piece of the cut but the pie is smaller because there are more fans coming out to see rat let's be honest than there are going out to see a stephen piercy solo show yeah, you're right. I mean, my favorite Stephen Piercy solo show I ever have seen, and I've seen them all, because I'm just a fan of his. I know he gets shit on for his uh, vocal stylings, you know, which, you know, yeah, he's not Pavarotti. 
But. I have no problem. I mean, I, I like to me, Piercy is just rock and roll. He just he lives it. He is rock and roll. That's all he wants to do. That's all he's focused on. And he loves his racing, too. And even when he's involved in different racing operations, it's really more about promoting the music. He's just he's a rock and he's like Lemmy. I mean, I know right. I know people are going to, you know, maybe take exception to that because Lemmy's considered to be an icon and Piercy certainly isn't. But they're just certain guys that rock and roll is all they are. It's all they do. Yeah, I mean, he, uh, you know, he, I, I just respect that he still does. He puts on a good effort from what I've seen at his solo shows. He gets kind of shit on because, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize that Rad at one point was a pretty big band. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a lot of people say because of Piercy's laziness or maybe lack of uh, showmanship on stage, you know, Rat took out Bon Jovi first. They took out Poison. And then these bands kind of leapfrogged over them tenfold. And, and a lot of people blame him for maybe not being the most charismatic front guy. I always looked at it more that they weren't poppy enough to really cross over. You know, Poison had that pop element to them that allowed them to cross over. It was the same thing with Bon Jovi, a little bit more pop. I mean, you know, Rat was always, to me, a little bit dirtier. They were a little grungier, for lack of a better word. No, I guess it's an interesting word, considering how it all played out, you know, with Harry metal's demise but uh they were they were just they were a little you know they had more grit to them in terms of rock and roll I, well i thought they were the best band musically from that era you know in terms of uh, the, the musicianship i mean juan's a great place blaze bass player he's a good blaze player too yeah blaze he's a blazer <laughs> piercy's a great blaze player uh and Martini, i think is criminally underrated i totally agree um, with you he's amazing you know i i don't think i've seen many guys like him who every solo for every song fits the song mm-hmm. you know like i brought up vinnie vincent you know every solo he does doesn't fit the song it's right like, okay we get it you can play but you know maybe let the vocals kick in and robin crosby was a good rhythm player and you know i think Lots is probably the weakest part of the band, frankly. So, so I wish he would have laughed. <laughs> That's not nice. Come on now, Earl. But I mean, this is like when we're analyzing the Kings. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, you know, you're very uh, diplomatic in your evaluations. Maybe I'm not. So there are a much. few guys that I think could leave the team um, and that will leave the team and be replaced this year. So I, I can relate to what you're saying. Sure. I mean, I'm guessing. Uh, but I, what you're saying is more because you'd rather have Piercy still in the band. Because he's the voice. Yeah. And where do you fall on that? I, I, I've had this discussion with many people if a if a lead singer is replaced is that really the end of the band i mean because isn't the lead singer with very very few exceptions isn't the lead singer really the band i mean with rat i would say it's a hundred percent the band i mean they had jizzy pearl uh, who's actually good oh he's great yeah i mean love and hate or love hate love hate yeah. uh i think uh, la guns he was in for a little bit but every i think i've been in la guns they've had <laughs> well which one were you in because there are two i was <laughs> in la buns um no, that know. was your movie career that was right. different Earl. But, well that was bench warmers in 06 and that's it these shoes were actually stolen from the set of bench warmers uh but that's another uh we won't get into my uh movie career it'll be in volume two of the podcast well people ask me they look up my name on imdb and they're like earl we've seen you've done one movie in 2006 i'm like yeah i take my time okay i mean i'm not stallone in the mid 80s you just see a two-hour movie about arm wrestling fat guys i'm in (laughs) not even a fucking hesitation so the next movie for you is coming out in a couple years then you're taking your time 
This is breaking news here. It's uh, I've uh, through several rich friends. I'm financing my movie about hockey and pornography. Um, it's uh, we're doing still photography for it right now in the valley. Uh, it's called Two Girls in a Stanley Cup. And, okay, is uh, this a real movie or or is this part of your your new stand up? You're just working out a joke here. No, it's Two Girls in a Stanley Cup. <laughs> okay, <laughs> on at the IMAX. Although I am writing a hockey movie, and I shouldn't say this because someone could take the idea. Well, then don't say it. But I want to because okay. it's like, I, I don't, you, you know, I think it's such a great idea. Um, it's called Black Eyes. And I know hockey. Wasn't that a beer by Anheuser-Busch a few years ago? Well, you know, there might be some copyright okay. uh, infringement possibilities here. Right. But, uh, you know, it's going to be a movie in the vein of like Porky's, um, inappropriate comedy, and it's about the first all-black hockey team to win the Stanley Cup. And they're going to be coached by a white supremacist. <laughs> What's the, okay. Because here's the hook of the movie. And you, you're in the business. You know people. Maybe we could get Matt Barry involved in the casting. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's possible. Well, he, he'll... But if Matt casts the movie, he has to be in the movie. So That's fine. to make him a trainer or something. Because my first <laughs> choice as the white supremacist coach is Rob Schneider, because I'm loyal. <laughs> Your younger, your younger, smaller brother. But I don't think that uh, Rob's going to be down for the first line he has to say, which is, here's the premise of the movie. Opening credits, Black Eyes, uh, directed by Earl Skakel, starring Rob Schneider. And you get a floor-level camera shot of the doors of the ice rink opening and you see a pair of Chuck Taylors walk on the ice bouncing a basketball because in the movie you have a minor league basketball team their team folds they have to find another job they have no job skills other than their athletic abilities they're too scared to play football they're too they're not good enough to play baseball so one of them says hey how about hockey they know nothing about the sport. So they start with a hockey team. They need a coach. The coach is a grand dragon of the KKK. He just got fired for his lack of money-making abilities. He looks in the paper. Hockey coach thinking, great, I'll coach a bunch of white guys. He's on his cell phone. He walks in the locker room the first day, opens the door, and he has, he's on the cell phone. He's like, I'm just glad I found a job where I don't have to deal with mm. And then he opens the door to, you know, 20 black eyes. <laughs> this is what you think of in your spare Absolutely. time? That's okay. just the first scene. That's it. That's, 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 that's all I got, to okay. be honest with you. Well, you might want to develop that storyline a little bit better. Yeah. I mean, I'm sensing it's like a slap shot kind of so a... Slap shot okay. meets porkies meets okay. blazing saddles. Okay. All right. Keep working it. Well, that's it. And then they win the cup and they melt it down and sell it at a pawn shop. Oh, Okay. They don't. Okay. I mean, we're going for like the racial jokes. We're going for the, you know, we're going to, you know, do all kinds of uh, weird things, but it's just in pre-production. Okay. And I've also got another movie called Jackass to Mouth, which is uh, <laughs> about stunt work in the world of porn. Let's get back to, uh, where, I think we were talking about music and bands Piercy, and when the lead singer, the voice. when the lead singer, yeah, you know, leaves a band. I mean, 
and sorry for going off on that tangent. Uh, I'm just trying to make some money on this podcast. Thought there might be some investors listening. There could be. I mean, I do think with cast Ra- me in the movie. If if if, if you're going to be the, the racist <laughs> equipment manager. Oh, great! I've always wanted to be an equipment manager. And your name is going to be Earl Skakel. You're, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna take the hit. Okay. But I well in Rat's case, I think you know Jizzy Pearl. It just didn't. He was like trying to impersonate Piercy, mm-hmm. dumb down his vocals to. It just didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. It's nothing against him, you know. It's like, but like Vince left Motley Crue. Uh, you just you, you can't do Motley Crue without Vince, right? right. And John Karabi, whose vocals are a hundred times better than Vince Neil, it just didn't work, you right? Know? It was you know because I don't think anyone listens to Motley Crue, uh, you, you know, to hear good vocals mm-hmm. or, or rap or you know with we were talking about Kiss. I mean, I don't think you know Eric Singer and Tommy Thayer are, in my opinion. Technically, 100 times the musicians that Ace and Peter are, especially at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ace is pretty sloppy, and it's still, it does, in most people's minds, it just doesn't work. It's not Ace and Peter. Well, you, you don't go to Kiss, though, to, you know, critique the performance. You go to Kiss to have a great time. It's a, it, right. it's a party. I mean, really, that's what it is. It's a Broadway show combined with a concert. You know, it's everything. It, it's a party. It's just, uh, you know, it's spring break. It's everything all rolled into one. I, I think the one band that people like to point to, though, is Van Halen, right? David Lee Roth mm-hmm. leaves the band. Sammy comes in. Um, they made some great music. But to me, it wasn't Van Halen. It was a different band. I don't know what you would call it, but it wasn't Van Halen. Van Halen to me was always David Lee Roth. Ain't talking about love. That is Van Halen to me. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, I mean Van Hagar. I guess was a lot of the. Yeah, they use that term. You know, I, I mean, I like that era of the band. You know, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it it just wasn't Roth. They may have even outsold the Van. Uh, Halen era, like sure. the Roth era. But well, they made more albums, so I mean, you know, I hope they would have right. sold them, right? <laughs> you know, but I'm nuts. I actually like the album with Gary Sharon, but the, you know, that's then you are nuts. That's sacrilege to say. <laughs> that's, most people listening don't even remember that that took place. Well, I don't think Gary Sharon remembers it took place. He was out of the band so fast. But how many weeks was that? <laughs> you know, I think after the tour, they uh, you know they did a show at the Charlotte, uh, wherever the Hornets used to play, like eighteen thousand seat arena, and it was like twenty five hundred people there it's like sounds about right though for that lineup this isn't working yeah but i can you know it's like it's a bummer to uh you know technically he has the best voice of anyone who's ever sang in van halen but you know it just it gets to the point we're trying to make i guess of it ain't david lee roth but see take it to the flip side like a lot of people say that about guns and roses i don't want to go see gnr because it's axel and a bunch of his friends um I think I can understand that and I can respect that, but you have to reconcile in your mind the fact that it's a different group and that they're going to play different music as well. And you're not getting the quote unquote full experience of Slash and, you know, everybody else being there, but it still is pretty cool to see Axel up on stage performing, especially after being gone for such a long time. Uh, Let me ask you this question, though. I've stated this many times through the years on Twitter. I firmly believe that there is no band out there, and this includes even when it would have been possible a couple years ago to pull Led Zeppelin together and have them do a tour. I don't think there's any band that you could put back together right now and tour 
that would gross more money in North America than GNR. I think it would be the biggest tour of all time. Oh, they could play uh, the Coliseum. They would play stadiums everywhere. I mean, it would just it would be un- they could sell out arenas for weeks on end. It would be yeah. It would oh. be right. I mean, do you agree? It would be oh, the absolutely. biggest selling tour of all time. It would be ridiculous. You'd have to get Adler back in the fold, and you know, I used to live in the same building as Stephen Adler, and he was such a sweet guy, but he was out of his mind. Uh, you know, asking me for ten dollars every time I saw him. It's like <laughs> I don't know a lot about publishing and the music business, but you drummed on Appetite. Uh, yeah, right. How about you give me ten dollars? Yeah, you drummed on the biggest record of the last thirty years. Yeah, right? I mean, and it's not like the EP. I guess he bowed out after the EP. Uh, lies, lies, lies. Right. Yeah. He was on that, and like that didn't exactly uh, undersell. I mean, that it's like, and it was so sad. And you know, I saw him a couple years later. He gets out of a limo and. Uh, He's like, hey, Earl, what's happening? I'm like, hey, Steve. He's like, where are you living these days? He's like, oh, I don't know. I moved. And uh, a couple <laughs> hours later, show's ending. We were seeing Glam Nation, uh, which was a uh, 70s tribute band that uh, Eric Singer was in. And uh, Derek Sherinian was on keyboards. It was a gr- uh, Eric Dover was the singer. Eric Dover is amazing. What a great voice that guy has. Oh, I, I told him after that show, I'm like, dude, you're a star. And uh so after the Glam Nation show's over, Steven's getting back into his limo. He's like, Earl, do you need a ride home? I'm like, well, where do you live? He's like, I live in the same building you do. I was like, well, two hours ago, you just told me you moved. <laughs> and then I love Steven Adler because he's such a good person. Like, yeah. He comes from such a, a great place. Like I saw him at the Slash concert at the Wiltern. Because my friend Brent Fitz, who's a great drummer, is Slash's drummer. And Steven's sitting right next to me. And I could tell he was bummed out because Brent's so good. And he was like, wow, that's how I used to play. And then he's like, hey, Earl, let's go back home. I'm like, I don't live there anymore. He's like, well, I love living there. I jack off in that building every day. And that's like, a great story. That is like something you don't get from most normal people. No. Hey, how's uh, how's my old uh, apartment building? I still jack off there every day. Great. Did you ever see him on Celebrity Rehab? Oh, it's pretty bad. You know, talking about missing his friend Slash. I mean, it, it just it really tugs at the heartstrings. I mean, you could just see how yeah. sad the guy really is. He really is sad. Yeah. Well, I think from and I saw it on a daily basis. It was a great insight. Uh, just the group of friends he was hanging with was just these fucking losers and these posers and and to bring it back to kind of kings related this building which and no, no one lives there anymore so i don't think i'm outing them it's on century park east and olympic uh bruce mcnall lived there oh wow uh right before he went to prison and it, that was really sad because here's this guy who's responsible for Gretzky coming and and making hockey the number one sport in, in this city for a very long time. I mean, I remember going to a Hartford Whalers game on a Tuesday night, sold out. It's like, wow. Now, wow. wait a minute. You, Bruce McNall, and Steven Adler all lived in the same building. And Faye Resnick, who was very heavily involved in the O.J. Simpson murder uh, situation, because if you remember, uh, some of O.J.'s support were saying that, uh, you know, OJ didn't do it. It was drug dealers who went to that condo to kill Faye Resnick because of some. So it was just a crazy building. Wow. And, uh, and that's what you should be making a movie about. Right. Just Century Park East. Just there you a go. Sitcom. <laughs> well, I don't know if it'd be a sitcom. It would be just on Adler alone. I mean, my favorite 
Adler stories. One in the black security guards loved him. Okay. They had no idea who he was, um, <laughs> which is even better. They just yeah, because it was their love for him was just genuine. Right. It He's was, just Stephen. We they, just love that guy, Stephen. Yeah, yeah, he was Stephen to them. They did not listen to Guns N' Roses. And one night, uh, Stephen's running through the hallway naked, going, they're in there, they're in there. And this is a kind of a uh, hoity-toity building, a lot of, not rich people, but uh, well-off people. And the security guard is grabbing me, hey, Stephen's going nuts. We know he likes you. Will you go up there with us? So I go uh, up there, and they're like, they're fucking in there, they're in there. And so we, all is me and the two black security guards, we go in to Steven's apartment and there's no one in there but you know let's just say some paraphernalia mm-hmm. and I think he got a bad batch right you know on Pico and Hoover uh, <laughs> and it was like it was just kind of sad that you know it's, wow this guy's in the biggest band or was in the biggest band of all uh, of that era and it's like what are you doing right you're in a hallway naked with me and two black security guards right your life is you've definitely made a left turn right for sure I'm telling you this is this is a book or a movie right here this is gold and Bruce McNall and there there have to be hundreds more of these stories oh yeah i mean so this is your book and this is your movie deal right here bruce mcnall driving up a, a beat up ford explorer it's like this is a guy who was in like a lamborghini countach you know <laughs> six months ago right uh so have you ever met bruce well i mean besides um, back briefly then, uh, bruce is honestly genuinely the nicest guy in the world yeah i mean he's uh, just so humble just a gr- nice nice guy i mean i you know I don't want to say anything bad about him. I mean, to me, he's everything that was good and bad about the Kings of that era. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, you know, obviously we, we got to see an amazing time in LA sports history, the greatest player, arguably still in somewhat of his prime, just doing his thing on a nightly basis. I mean, yeah, that's, that's I mean, really awesome. I don't think I still appreciate it. This is maybe the greatest team sports athlete ever. And that's saying something when, mm-hmm. You consider Michael Jordan and, and, and other great athletes in their sports, and uh, Bruce McNall was the guy responsible for getting him here. But then, because of his financial uh, impeccadillos, let's just say, uh, we were bankrupt for almost you know six, seven years. And have you read his book? I did not. It's a great book. You definitely should read it. Um, gives you some insight into him as a child and kind of how he got involved with the coin business and the horse business and stuff like that. And it also really tells the backstory as well about kind of pre-Staples Center because a lot of people uh, like to believe that Staples Center is the house the Lakers built, which couldn't be further from the truth. It is the house that the Kings built. Bruce McNall was in the process of building a new arena prior to uh, going to jail. And one of the deals when he went to sell the team um, basically was he wanted to make sure that the group that he sold it to was going to be able to uh, put a new building together. That was one of his hopes. And one of his biggest regrets is when he sold to uh, Cohen and Sudikoff, uh, you know, I've got your laughing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is basically he said that there was a better deal on the table I believe it was with Sony that would have ensured that the building was to be built, but that he made more money off of the other deal and he needed money at the time. And he really regretted that because, uh, in his mind, his, um, what's the, what's the phrase I'm looking for? His, his kind of, his legacy 
was going to be having that new building built uh, because he knew that he knew that the forum was on the way out. And, you know, they had had talks about building it uh, across the street near Hollywood Park. They had looked at some different locations and whatnot. Um, he's really happy. Ultimately, of course, that AEG came in. Now, I don't know if you know this, but uh, you love these kind of stories. So I'll share it with you. He's in jail the whole time. Right. And, you know, the, the reason they didn't retire Gretzky's number for as long as they did was because Wayne refused to have his number retired at Staples Center until Bruce was out of jail. And Bruce didn't know that right. uh, while he was in jail. Even though Wayne went to visit him, Luke went to visit him, they never talked about it or anything like that. And so Bruce found that out later when he was... Um, uh, he attended, I guess, the night that they retired the jersey, and, and Wayne told him that that night, and Bruce was pretty blown away by it, you know, to say, I can't even believe that Wayne would think that highly of me, you know, to do this. But the other thing that happened is just a couple of days after, uh, and Bruce came on my show a couple of years ago and told the story, and it was awesome, a couple of days after he got out of jail, um, he was living in like a halfway house or whatever, and uh, uh, Tim Lywicky sent a, uh, called him up, said, I'd like to bring you down, I'd like to show you. He sent a car over, picks him up, and uh, brings him to Staples Center, and basically, Liewicki, you know, who was the head of AEG, walks him around the entire building and explains all kinds of things, you know, aspects of the building. Bruce had never seen it; he he didn't know the renderings, he didn't know anything because it all happened after he went to jail. And uh, they and and Liewicki basically told him, "This is your legacy. This is right. the building that's here because of you. You laid the groundwork. You know, two owners before us." And uh, Bruce was just really touched by the fact that Liewicki always rolled out the red carpet for him when a lot of other people turned their back on on Bruce. Uh, Tim always respected what uh, what Bruce you know did for the organization because first and foremost, Liewicki was a hockey fan. Oh yeah, I mean you know, and I have mixed feelings on McNall, you know. You know, I'm sure he's not as bad as people portrayed him to be, but, you know, there's some responsibility of of what happened. Well, there certainly is responsibility. I mean, he went to jail because he, you know, uh, uh, was able to get money out of people, you know, illegally. So there definitely is some responsibility there. At the same time, he did a lot of great things for, you know, other people. And and that's why guys like Robitaille and Gretzky and stuff stood by him, uh, you know, through all those years. And he uh, okayed uh, the GM of the time to bring in Troy Crowder and Michelle Petit, two of my uh, favorite kings. I mean, I literally got an erection in Northridge when I was in the car. And this is, uh, cocky was so big at that point in L.A. They would give radio reports on Kings transactions. And the Kings today signed number 55, Troy Crowder. I'm like, go figure. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, that was kind of a... Weird era for the Kings. I mean, you know, when McNall's stuff was kind of starting to surface, it was like they were like bringing, you know, Barry Melrose was like bringing in guys like Phil Crow, uh, you know, Mark Potvin. Rob Cowie. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, Phil Crow had never played pro hockey. He was just an ECHL tough guy. Uh, You know, Crowder had been out of hockey for four fucking years. But I loved it because they were just stacking the tee with all these monsters. And it was, you know, King games were fun to go to. It was a, it was a great time back then. Things turned really dark uh, in the city of Los Angeles, I'd say, around 97, 98, soon after Gretzky had left, right? And ownership yeah. became even more questionable, uh, you know, until AEG really came in. And then, you know, brought out the New Jersey, made the announcement that downtown was going to happen and kind of set things in the in, in the right direction. And then the trade for Paul Fee kind of really cemented that I think that the team was yeah. back, headed in the right direction. From I there. mean, you know, I, I didn't like Melrose toward the end, you know, because I thought, you know, the Grant Fuhrer trade, which I thought, you know, McMaster gets blasted for that trade. But if you look at it, you I thought it was, uh, 
Melrose totally mismanaging Fuhrer. Uh, you know, that one stretch where he played him five games in a row, he was like awesome. Mm-hmm. And Fuhrer was never uh, a backup goalie. And, you know, I think Melrose made that trade so he could fuck with Kelly Rudy's head. Like, oh, we're going to bring in this guy. And it's like, you know, that was when he was in those Tony Robbins commercials. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I didn't think, you know, we got Philippe Boucher and, uh, of course, the great Dennis Segurov. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, if you watch Dennis Segurov's last game as a king, you can hear him fall off the face of the earth. <laughs> Just, what happened to that guy? But, you know, it's so, I mean, listen, I know uh, we're well over the hour mark. I know you got to go back to Staples Center. Game four. Uh, Big I mean, game tonight. Yeah, well, it's, uh, you know, one game. You, you were right. It really is every cliche, but they're cliches for a reason. It's mm-hmm. one. Mike Richards was on, uh, you know, and that's the last thing. If we could, do you have a minute to. Uh, Let's do it. You know, he's really an enigma to me right now because this guy's making six million a year. Uh, you, I could tell, you know, I'm a great observer. I play this dumb character, Mayor, mm-hmm. but I'm a real observer in life. And I could tell he is not happy being on the fourth line. You think? Um, <laughs> and I think the fans aren't happy because it's like you're making a lot of money. And I don't think most fourth line centers are making close to six million a year. I mean, do you think two questions for you? How is this going to affect him short term, his play in terms of tonight and the rest of the playoffs, hopefully, and next year when it's like, you know? Well, let me say a few things about that. Uh, first of all, I think that next year uh, for the lineup for the Kings, including Mike Richards, there are a lot of questions to be answered. And I think that we could do a whole podcast just on that come summertime, because once the playoffs are over, I think there are a lot of questions on defense and among the forwards as well. We're still in a salary cap era, even though the salary cap is going to go up. Uh, there aren't a lot of great unrestricted free agents that are available that are out there in terms of defensemen this particular summer. So in order to shore up that defense that we talked about earlier, they're going to have to make some hockey trades and in order to make hockey trades. You have to be able to give up some roster key roster players. Um, they're only, uh, you know, there's a finite amount of young talent that you can swing. Like they were able to do to get Mike Richards. They traded Braden Shin and, and Wayne Simmons, you know, uh, so you really have to look at that roster and kind of figure out, okay, who truly is part of the core of the team, you know, uh, Dowdy, Kopitar, quick, etc., And, and, and who are maybe some players like a Justin Williams that are probably going to be traded. I think there are a lot of questions that start to be asked over the summer. Once the playoffs are over, that would be my long-term answer is I don't think it's really a Mike, Richard's question as much as it is an overall question about the direction of the team uh, because I don't think there's a quick fix to it because you can't just sign an unrestricted free agent defenseman. If maybe Dan Girardi from the Rangers had gone to free agency then there would have been a quick fix but there's not and so when you start to make those hockey trades I think there's a, a domino effect that encompasses you know, 25 players or more because you're including prospects in there as well. In terms of short term, I'll say this. Mike Richards hasn't produced this year. It's been a down year for him. He's not the only one. There are a number of players uh, that have had down years, including the captain, Dustin Brown. That being said, at the junction they're at right now, they need to generate offense. They need to play better defense. And uh, Richards has had a, a real tough time with the the bigger size and speed of the uh, the guys on the San Jose Sharks, their top players. So I think that for that particular reason, it makes sense to put him down on the fourth line. I mean, you could argue and let him play on the third line and say Stoll's your fourth line. If you really want to be Daryl Sutter, he's going to say, well, Mike's not on the fourth line because he factors in the fact that Richards is going to get on the power play and fourth line guys don't play on the power play. So he will get more minutes than 
than a normal fourth line center. Um, but really, it has to do just with the 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 makeup of that team. Is that uh, Jared Stoll is the consummate third line center? So where else do you put Richards? You, you know, you could hide him off on the wing if you thought that he was going to give you some offense. But he's not generating offense, and he's not doing it as a second line center. Personally, I really like what they're doing tonight with the second line. Uh, I like having Carter. Normally, I prefer Carter at wing because you want on a team that starts for offense, you want him just shooting the puck out there on the wing. But tonight, you have to take advantage of Toffoli. You have to take advantage of Pearson, some young guns. We've seen a lot of other teams work young players into the lineup, including the Sharks. Look at Tomas Hurdle and a bunch of other guys. The Kings have to take advantage of all this this depth they have with young players like Toffoli, like Pearson, and get them into the lineup and get them producing because... It comes down to depth, and uh, it's not about how many goals Mike Richards has. It's about how many goals the depth players have, and the depth guys haven't been doing it for the Kings in the playoffs thus far this year. That's what helped them win in 2012. That's what helps a lot of other teams win. Anaheim is winning because of it. Uh, Dallas is now winning because of it. The Kings need to win because of their depth players. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm a huge Mike Richards fan, but I think this year... uh Michael Richards from Seinfeld had a better year. Uh, <laughs> but uh, now I want to leave the episode on a cliffhanger of note because, uh, you know, we've talked about who's going to be back, who's not going to be back. Uh, you know, this is where I stand in terms of, uh, do you have like two minutes? To do it? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, I'm assuming, I, I love Gabarik, so I hope he's back. Uh, I, I'm assuming Green and Mitchell aren't back on mm-hmm. defense. Um, and, you know, forward-wise, I mean, you mentioned Justin Williams. So, I mean, there are some guys who won't be here next year uh you know unless this team goes on an incredible run and wins the cup again but even then i, don't. I think even then when you look at the salary cap and you look at kind of you know back to what we were talking about earlier lombardi and the boxes and how things fit together tyler Toffoli has to play top six minutes he's not a bottom six player to play top six minutes on the la kings he does have to take over for justin williams there really isn't another spot for him in terms of gabrick uh lombardi traded for him for one reason he believed that he was a long-term piece right. to the la kings he uh, didn't think that he was a rental player like some of the other guys camilleri vanek molson who he thought were just going to be worried about getting to july 1st and cashing in with another team. Gabrick's wanted to play in Los Angeles. They talked with his agent. They talked with him before the trade. Columbus gave them that uh, that that option to do that. And Lombardi believes that uh, Gabrick wants to sign here. So uh, barring a major change in direction, which is possible but not probable, I, I certainly think that Gabrick is going to resign. Uh, Matt Green and, and Willie Mitchell, as you mentioned earlier, uh, probably not unless there's you know, a one-year at one million type deal. Uh, it's just... It's not something that fits in. They do have Braden McNabb, the kid they picked up from yeah. Buffalo, who they believe over the last two seasons is has been the best defenseman not playing in the National Hockey League. So look for him to be in the lineup uh, next year as a replacement for one of those two guys we just talked about. And my last question to you, and I was a little shocked at this at the deadline, and I'm just standing up to stretch out my old legs. Okay. Uh, I, I got the impression that, you know, basically it was a three-horse race between Gabrick, Molson, and Vanek. I think Vanek was definitely, uh, was not really, he was the third choice by far just because he seems to have been honest and said, I'm going to free agency. Are you talking about for the Kings? Yeah, for hey. the Kings. But I mean, it seemed like Molson didn't have a lot of interest in playing here. And given his connection to Quick and his connection to this team, do you think he was just like burnt bridges from being traded? Or I, I was surprised he kind of was like, yeah. Yeah, the way I heard it was that the Kings were not interested in any of the three players we've talked about. They weren't interested in Cammy, Molson, uh, or Vanek. And and starting with the fact that all three of them probably weren't going to resign here and Lombardi has a... Uh, 
kind of a philosophy about not being into rental players. If you wanted just a quick version of it, uh, the Kings management team really doesn't care for Mike Camilleri. Uh, they don't believe that Matt Molson cares for the LA Kings and Thomas Vanek, like you said, they, they believed was going to free agency and the prevailing thought is he's going to sign in Minnesota uh, or maybe now he's right. you know falling in love with his new team, but the thought was he was going to sign in Minnesota. So those three players were really off the grid. Uh, Lombardi had been in on Gabrick since January and uh, we had been reporting that the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets were heavy in terms of sending scouts and their assistant GM to Manchester to scout uh, guys that were there uh, for many, many months leading up to the deadline. So he was all in on Gabrick offensively. Keep in mind, though, the number one thing that Lombardi wanted to get at the trade deadline was a defenseman. It wasn't a forward. He just couldn't swing a deal that made sense hockey-wise for a defenseman. Well, listen, this is why I had you on the show. (laughs) You're an amazing talent. Where can people find you on Twitter? At Mayor NHL. You can also uh, read the website, mayorsmanner.com. Earl, it's always awesome hanging out with you. We didn't even get to talk UFC. We have to come back right. and do some MMA talk next time. Real fast, and I, I know uh, as I'm wrapping up, at UFC, Jones, Texera, does Texera have any chance? Uh, well, I think I, he does. I think he does. I mean, right, because he's a big, heavy puncher, so he has a chance. But John Jones right now is just in a class above everybody else. I think that uh, Jones wins that fight. And if you want to fast forward a little bit, I think really the card to look forward to is the July 4th card. You have the triple main event, if you will. Uh, Chris Weidman going to get up against Machida. A lot of people inside uh, mixed martial arts, you know, the, the insiders, if you will, they think that Machida has a real good chance of beating Chris Weidman. I'm not convinced of that. Ronda Rousey, biggest star in the industry right now. She's going to be fighting on that card, fighting Alexis Davis. That's going to be great. And, uh, of course, uh, the guy with the best mouth in all of uh, MMA, uh, uh, Chell Shonen, is going to be on that card as well, fighting Vanderlei Silva if he shows up. And well, he will. There's well, a lot of talk that Vanderlei is going to somehow have an injury the last week or so, so we'll see. Well, I think because, and a lot of people uh, don't realize that you know that Nevada is definitely the toughest state uh, in terms of steroid uh, situations. TRT now they banned, and you know, let's be honest. If you look at some of those pride tapes, uh, you know, Vanderlei was, uh, as they say in the business, on the sauce. Yeah, so I don't sure. know if he'll be able to pass a test in America. Oh well, come on, Vanderlei's fought in Vegas plenty of times since leaving Pride. So uh, if he wants to he could i think the guy that had the big would have had the bigger issue would be vitor belfort and of course he's not fighting uh chris weibin anymore and that's why leota moved in there but a lot of great stuff happening with ufc you have this card and then you have the uh memorial day weekend card happening up in vegas as well you have the show coming up in vancouver some great younger uh lighter weight fighters ha- uh, fighting as well so big stuff happening for ufc and shout out to him he's not my boy because i don't know him, but fabrizio Verdum. I don't care. They're already making excuses. Brown broke his foot in the first round. Well, you know what? It's it's fucking. What's Verdum supposed to do? Sit there and okay, just hit me and. Sit. Well, I, I will say definitely a shout out to Verdum because uh, in in my wildest dreams I would have never expected Fabricio Verdum to beat Fedor and I would have never expected uh-huh. him to beat uh, Travis Brown. I would have expected uh, Brown to KO him. That was the prediction I had out there and pretty shocked. Injury to Brown or not, pretty shocked that Fabricio Verdum had such crisp stand up. Yeah. His striking looked unbelievable in that fight. Well, Fedor is my all-time favorite. I cried during that fight, but, you know, I think after the Brown, uh, no, after the Verdun fight against Overeem, where uh, he was basically mocked for having no punching uh, mm-hmm. ability, and, and, you know, really his only strategy was to try and sucker Overeem to get on the mat, and Overeem was like, suck. The Jeremy Horn strategy against Chuck Liddell? Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. just like, I loved it. There was one point, uh, uh, Verdun and Overeem, where <laughs> Verdun just falls on the ground, and he's motioned right. 
ovary. Please come down here. Yeah, so Jeremy, Jeremy Horn did that for four rounds. Uh, or, well, it felt like four rounds against Chuck Liddell. Well, we're going to have you. I mean, you can come back anytime you want. I know you're, in all seriousness, I know we've joked around a lot. You know, I've always wanted you on the show. I, I was almost embarrassed to ask you because I know your schedule's so busy. And uh, Anytime, Merle, anytime. You are the best. So please go to Mayor's Manor. Uh, you know, what's the Twitter one more time? Mayor NHL. This guy's the best, hands down, the, the real deal on hockey and music, and he's a great friend. Uh, inappropriate at all. We're on uh, SoundCloud. Uh, and for you Steve Jobs nut swingers, you can still go on iTunes and support the Apple giant. Uh, we, this is going to air today, so this is maybe the first episode that's ever been current. And we will see you soon. Thank you, guys. 